0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has recently introduced the 110 Ultralight. Savage has teamed up with Proof Research once again to craft a barrel specific for a purpose-driven firearm. At around 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory-blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel and melanite skeletonized receiver minimize weight for success on any mountain hunt now i could go on and on about all the good things about this firearm but what you need to do is go to savagearms.com check out the 110 ultralight they have it available for the 308 wind mag the 270 wind mag the 28 Nozzler, the 28 ackley improved the 30.6 springfield and so on, and so on, and so on. They got it for just about uh, any cartridge. So, what you need to do is go to savagearms.com, check this rifle out. It's a badass rifle. Savagearms.com. <laughs> What's up everybody welcome back to the hunting gear podcast i'm your host dan johnson and today we're talking bow accessories specifically from hha and today's guest is scott Bakken. scott is kind of a, a jack of all trades he wears several hats within hha and on this episode we talk about their rests we talk about their sites, we talk about a little company history, we talk about the design process, we talk about the, uh, the timeline from when the company started, and all of the SKUs that they have, and a little bit of everything, and why the... You know, we also talk about trends, right? We we see in today's world that uh, some of the older trends are coming back, and, and one that I share with him is the saddle. Uh, I can remember the saddle being popular before social media, and then it kind of went away, and tree stands became popular again, and now we're seeing this resurgence of saddle hunting, and so I asked him questions like, you know, are... Single pin sites a trend, or are multiple pin sites a trend? And and has HHA seen that throughout the years, uh, ups and downs of uh, you know what the customers are actually wanting? And we talk a little bit about everything. So HHA is the topic of discussion today. Hopefully, you guys enjoy. If you guys have a specific. Company that you want featured, or a specific topic that you want featured on the Hunting Gear Podcast, hit me up on Instagram. Nine Finger Chronicles is my Instagram uh, sign. Follow me, and that's where all of this stuff gets posted. Uh, so be sure to subscribe to the Hunting Gear Podcast or the Sportsman's Nation uh, Podcast Network. Uh, you're going to find all that content there. Uh, follow us on uh, Facebook and Instagram, Nine Finger Chronicles for me, and uh, that's on Facebook and, and Instagram, and the Sportsmen's Nation uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. Be sure to check out the uh, product lines from HHA, and other than that, intros short, let's get into today's uh, hunting gear podcast with HHA Sports and Scott Bakken. All right, on the phone with me from HHA, Mr. Scott Bakken. Scott, how you doing, man?
1: Good, good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, through just knowing you and knowing, uh, you know, some we have uh, a couple friends who are the same, uh, and it sounds like you've already been on a hunt this year.
1: Uh, yeah, I actually just, uh, just got back a couple weeks ago, uh, kicked off the season out in Wyoming uh, hunting antelope um with uh with a buddy of ours that uh he's an outfitter out there so it's kind of an annual annual trip just to go out and visit you know especially with everything going on this year like wyoming's probably the safest place you could be so <laughs> we we're like why right. why not right yeah it was uh yeah but you know it's just, one of those trips where it's just good good dudes and just you know it's like perfect timing to just get away and you know kind of disconnect for a while so it was a lot a lot of fun
0: yeah Cool. So did you have any luck while you're out there?
1: We did. We actually had a great, uh, great trip. Um, It was, we actually, you know, so I say it's a buddy of ours, but you find out like how good of buddies you are with someone when you bug a hunt with them. But then they fail to mention to you that like the animal population population is like the lowest it's been in like 40 years. Um, so, so it it actually, it was tough. It was, uh, it was tough hunting, but, um, we were all successful and tagged out and, you know, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. But, you know, from, you know, the previous years to this year, you could definitely tell the difference. I mean, there just was not the, the antelope numbers that, that we're used to seeing, but like I said, it was, it was a lot of fun. So,
0: yeah, well, I'll tell you what, um, every time I hear someone talk about antelope hunting, I never hear them say like, "Oh, we never got an opportunity." They no. someone always finds a way to get an opportunity. Especially uh, some of the guys that I know, where they they're going blind. They don't know really what they're doing. They basically pick a dot on a map and say, "Well, we're going to go here." I mean, they're if you've ever been west, especially in Wyoming, they're number one. They're all over the place. So yeah. it's, even with a lower you know a lower population, it sounds like everybody is still getting opportunities out there.
1: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, yeah, it, it, we were, we were not uh, struggling by any means. I mean, I think, you know, so, uh, you know, I was, Justin Czar and I were together who, you know, we both, we both know. And um, I mean, I think within the first like two hours of our first morning, we both had, I think we had two stocks apiece that we failed. So it, there was definitely opportunities. And the thing with like the, the, you know, the population is that it was just, it was sporadic too. It kind of depended on where you were, what unit you were in. So, you know, three other, the guys that were with us, I think the one guy, I think like one morning he had like 50 bucks in front of him or something. So it it, it was very, it was very sporadic, but yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, it, it is, it is a very opportunistic, uh, style of hunting. Yeah. Cool, man. Which is perfect, which is perfect for starting the year. Yeah. Absolutely dusting the cobwebs off and stuff so
0: yeah if you wanna if you wanna get on the board early antelope hunting might be the perfect opportunity for you
1: well and i think it uh is we went the second week of openers so and it it literally opens like i think like the first or second weekend in august in wyoming yeah so i mean it's like i mean it is early so yeah it's it's a great uh it's a great uh you know icebreaker to to the year yeah well it's and it's pretty and it's pretty economical too yeah that's a fact it's not like you're you're not you're not breaking the bank to go do it yeah
0: what else you got planned this year
1: you know honestly uh not much uh that was kind of a a big trip um i uh like for just kind of some reason i bought a an, an over over the counter um non-resident uh elk tag for idaho uh just because last year was the first year that they sold out of them so there was a chance that i may be able to go so i did buy a tag and um it kind of kind of just threw together a really quick trip out there so i do have that at the end of september but that's just uh it's literally like a three and a half day hunt for the last three days of the season okay um but you know three days is better than no days that's a fact man so, that's a um, fact. and that's and that's just you know how, how do you pass up couple days out in the mountains at the end of september but uh other than that that's uh, those are really the two only trips and then just you know standard whitetail hunting around uh you know around here so not uh you know i say that's a pretty low-key season even though for most people that's that's probably a lot but um yeah it's, it's, it's just been kind of a we- weird year you know as far as planning hunts and yeah and stuff so it's just it's kind of the the first time i can remember where i didn't really feel like doing anything i kind of just i don't know it's it's just i don't know if it's just with everything that's been going on i just ambition to travel over the country has kind of been uh kind of been minimal but uh you know it's not now that we've got that wyoming hunt out of the way it's kind of you know i'm I'm starting to come around so yeah yeah Who, who knows who knows what'll pop up between now and you know the end of the year so yeah
0: so where is hha located
1: We are in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin, which is basically dead center in the state of Wisconsin. So we're two hours from each, you know, eastern and western border. We're four hours from the north border, four hours from the south border. We're literally like dead center in the state. So if anybody's familiar with like, uh, you know, Wisconsin Dells or Green Bay or um, anything like that, we're kind of right in the century located in between all those.
0: Okay. All right. So... Why don't you talk us a little talk to us a little bit about what your specific role is within HHA and uh, kind of what what tasks you do on a, a weekly, monthly, annual
1: basis? Sure. So, I guess my my official title at HHA is Director of Sales and Marketing. So, my primary responsibilities are anything that's sales or marketing related. Um the majority of my day is spent. We do have an on-the-road sales team, which um, consists of 20 uh, sales reps. So the majority of my time is spent working with them, um, managing managing them, and just you know, kind of helping them, you know, with anything they need or assisting, you know, with any any sales-related stuff that they have. And then you know, the marketing side, you know, that's kind of seasonal. Um, a lot of that's working with like our social media manager um you know working with um publications getting them ads or you know any opportunities like that working with any sort of sponsorship opportunities donations whatever um and then outside of that it's kind of you know being a smaller company we don't have the luxury of hiring you know a bunch of uh people for like specific roles we all kind of wear multiple hats so Although the majority of my time is spent with sales and marketing, a lot of it is, you know, customer service calls, tech calls, warranty calls. Um, you know, if you have a question on site and in a site, chances are you're probably going to talk to me or one other guy. Um, so it's it's kind of, uh, you know, we, we all wear, you know, multiple hats outside of our primary roles. Um, and then obviously, you know, trade shows are are a big part of that too. So
0: Yeah. And it sounds like that's a theme throughout a lot of the companies within the hunting industry it's you know unless it's owned by one of those giant conglomerate type of uh companies then the like someone like yourself is doing a lot of different things throughout the day which is is kind of cool because you really get to know the product line that way
1: yeah yeah for sure and even like i mean the big private equity companies i mean you know they have, they have one guy like myself you know although his job scope may be more specific, but now he's doing it for 20 brands, Right, you know? So it's yeah. really, it's kind of the same thing, just at like grand scale, but it, it is, it, it's cool in the sense that, like you said, you, you get to know the company, you know, very, you know, intimately, you know, the products. Um, and, and I think that kind of relates when people do uh, contact you with questions, the fact that like, they're literally talking to, you know, this guy, and then, you know, maybe down the road, they might run in to them at a trade show and be like, oh, you know, I talked to you on the phone and be like, yep, that's me. So I think like you kind of get more of a personal relationship when it's kind of an environment like that. Yeah. Um, You know, it's not necessarily the most efficient, but, you know, at the same time, it's it's the way we've done it and it's it's worked for us. So it, uh, it can get pretty crazy sometimes, but it uh, in the end, it, it works out well. So And, and it's fun.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, so let's see here. Um, let's. How old is HHA?
1: Um. So the company officially um, was founded back in 1984. Um, so whatever, I guess what would that be? Thirty six years. Yeah, thirty something years. Um, yeah. So that's that's when we are HHA as a company officially started. We didn't really, I guess. The, we weren't really recognized until the mid uh, 90s when we first introduced the optimizer line of sites. Uh, prior to that, the first 10 years were spent kind of, you know, basically, I mean, we, we've made just about everything over, you know, that 36 years from, I mean, we had uh, um, uh, some really, I guess, for the time, like, um, very detailed target faces, you know, for, for shooting at, we had, uh, broadheads, we had releases, we had stabilizers, we had, uh, I mean, we've, we've, we've literally have tried it all. Um, but it wasn't until like the mid nineties that we really kind of found an idea that, um, took off and that's, you know, that's what's got us to this point today. And
0: that's the, the optimizer line of sights. Yep.
1: Okay. Yep. Yep. The optimizer li- optimer, optimizer
0: line of sights. And that was, that was the first line of sites that, uh, HHA kind of introduced.
1: It was, it was the first ones that actually stuck. I think prior to that, we had tried a couple different versions of sites that were more, um, they're kind of more, you know, in line with what was available at the time, which, you know, back then, you know, when I say back then, I mean, I was, I was still in diapers and, you know, Probably sticking my finger in socket outlets or something, but uh, <laughs> um, it wasn't that when when we first introduced the optimizer line, it was it was a it was a concept that was just starting to become a thing, and what was available out there was subpar, um, or or there was room for something better. So our founder Harry um, decided, you know what, like. He kind of he kind of had I mean literally had had spent their life savings on all all these other ideas that didn't take off. So it was kind of like, all right, this either has to work or, you know, he wasn't you know HHA wasn't going to be a thing, and uh, it just so happened that you know his idea it, it was better than than what was available at the time, and it uh, you know it took off. So yeah, 19 I think that was 1994, 1995. That was when the optimizer line of sights. Um, which at that point it was just one site. Um, that's, that's when HHA kind of really was, was, you know, began, even though we had been in business 10 years prior to that.
0: Okay. So talk to me a, a little bit about what is it about the optimizer line that made it stick and made it so popular?
1: The big thing was, um, the, the kind of like the, the original product that everybody was using, it was all plastic. Um, so it was all, uh, injected molded. Um, it, it was very, um, I don't want to say cheap, but like not, it, it just was not up to the durability that, you know, bow hunters, you know, are used to, but it, it was the only thing that was out there at the time that was kind of, uh, you know, that, that could be used by like all, you know. And, and any anybody could shoot it whether you were you know a target shooter a hunter or whatever and it, it wasn't like a target specific you know single pin you know like a sherlock or something like that who they've been around for a long time too but it was like the first kind of like hunting style single pin um and uh harry was very in law uh very involved with our local um archery club um which to this day hha is still very involved with with the club and he was seeing all these guys shooting sights, and he's like man you know those are really nice sights, but god they're you know they're made out of plastic like you know that's how how you know that's not you know that's not acceptable so um him and one of his friends came up with the idea of basically taking that idea but making it out of machined aluminum and um you know like i said it was kind of like harry's last you know this idea has got to work and uh they, they brought it to a, a local machine shop and kind of made the first prototype and every, you know, everybody loved it. And then next thing you know, he was, you know, grinding out parts in his basement. And, you know, one of the most iconic photos we have is this picture of Harry grinding on a, on a, on a grinding wheel. And he is just covered in, you know, in black, you know, which honestly, if somebody probably saw it today we get burned at the stake for being black faced, but uh <laughs> I mean, it, he is just covered in, uh, you know, in, in, um, in dust from, from grinding on this machine aluminum and stuff. But that's, that's how we did it until eventually we, um, we were able to open up our own machine shop and, you know, buy our first CNC machines. And, and that's when more of the family started getting involved. So like I said, it was like that, that early mid nineties was, was when things kind of really took off and then they just, they really haven't slowed down since.
0: Yeah. So, so that was kind of the foot in the door for the company that helped yep. it ev- eventually kind of built the foundation for HHA.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and that, and even that site, so that's, we call that our optimizer light, which is a, uh, it's a very basic slider style um, site. So, you know, you move the, the adjustable arms, it, it's a one-to-one ratio. And I mean, to this day, that's still one of our, our number one selling sites, but you know, obviously, it's evolved over the years, and you know, the the design has changed and, and stuff like that. But it's still, I mean, all purposes, it's, I mean, it's basically the exact same as it was as far as functionality. It just, you know, has a little bit different look nowadays. But um but yeah, so it's uh, everything kind of was built off of the optimizer, and then I'm trying to think. uh So that would have been probably ten probably 10 to 12 years later um, we introduced the newest addition to the optimizer line, which was the optimizer ultra, which was our first um, wheel design. So rather than using an adjustable arm, you actually had a dial that you would rotate, you know, to compensate for the yardage. Um, And then from there back in, that would have been like 2010, I believe is when, let's see here 2010 2012 maybe no i actually take that back it would have been 2014 is when we introduced uh the optimizer kington which was an expansion off of the altar and that was our first wheel forward uh design where the yardage wheel we moved it closer to the front of the site for easier quiver mounting and, and stuff like that so you know, the the optimizer line has evolved, but you know, there's there's quite a bit of gap between each evolution. So it just kinda goes to show how long each site kind of carried us before it was time to introduce something new.
0: Yeah. And that's a in a way, that's a, a good thing, right? If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Uh, type a type of thing. Which for me You know, I look at I look at this and and I'm on the website now, I look at it I'm looking at all the the different varieties of the optimizer and for the most part they they look the same and I do have a, a kingpin on my site right now or on my bow right now and that's the one I'm gonna end up using this year. But um you know, did all of the sites from, you know, when the when the Optimizer series was i guess uh started was it a single pin the whole way or did you guys flirt or did the company flirt with going multiple pins
1: no we've we've always dabbled them both um so the, the, the initial optimizer was a single pin um and it wasn't we had a i mean probably right around that same time the beginning I, i'm i i can not remember the exact timeline we did have a three pin that we called a triple threat, um, and it basically just the single pins. I mean that was that was where the popularity was. So then, rather, you know, obviously in the beginning we had limited resources, limited capital, um, and uh, so that was the direction they took. But that we've always we've always dabbled in both. It's just every time HHA came out with a multiple pin the single pins always sold more. So it's like, well, why, you know, that, let's just keep going that route. Um, so now, I mean, we've had probably, I'm trying to think, so we had the original triple threat. We had a triple threat version two. We had the FX. I mean, we've probably had five or six different versions of multiple pins over the years. Um, I will say the version that we have now is probably our best that we've ever had as far as uh, design and functionality goes. One of my favorites. I mean, this goes back to like probably 2005-ish was our our version two triple threat. That was that was one of my favorite multiple pin sites that was available at that time. Um, but obviously, as you know, technology changes. You know, bow designs change. You you know, that can make some things obsolete. But uh, but it was just even though we always, we've tried multiple pins, single pins was always where, you know, that, that was always where the majority of our business was. So um, that's, you know, that was kind of the route we took and and that was our focus um, until probably, you know, the last couple of years we've, as as the company has grown and we've trying to ex- expand our market, um, you know, and in, in, in our demographic, we've realized like, all right, we do have to, you know, we need to focus a little more on, on having a good multiple pin. And like I said, I, th- I think the one that we have this year is by far probably one of our one of our better ones we've had. And it's, you know, we've been we've been doing very well as far as sales go with it. So, OK, but still, I mean, we sell way more singletons. Do
0: you guys see trends like, OK, and I'll, I'll just use tree stands for an example right now you know saddle hunting is hot right now right you know like everybody everybody's talking about saddle hunting you know Uh, social media you'll see people hunting in saddles and, and there's this trend here well there was a trend before social media for saddle hunting too and it eventually kind of faded away and and people got back to tree stands and whatever do you see trends on people going from a single pin to multiple uh pins to back to single or vice versa
1: yep oh yeah and and probably you know what one of the biggest trends that's been so um up and down it's probably been one of the craziest like roller coasters i've seen um at least leaf that comes to mind other than like you said the saddle hunting and, and just tree stands but you know that like adjustable or movable multiple pins um, that is that is one of the craziest trends i i like said that i can think of because adjustable removable multiple pins have been around for i mean probably 20 plus years but they really didn't become a thing until probably like 10 years ago and all of a sudden you saw this spike in, you know uh shooters wanting adjustable multiple pins and that, you know, that fire lasted for maybe a year or two, and then it just fell off. And then nobody wanted adjustable multiple pins. Like you, you couldn't, you couldn't give them away. But then now, all of a sudden, like we're starting to see a, a spike in that interest again. And it's just really, um, in, and I don't know what, uh, you know, what fuels that, you know, you know those spikes and stuff. But we we see that it's like every two years, you kind of see the cycle of. You know, like they're either using straight six pins or they're using an adjustable single pin, and then two years later, now everybody wants an adjustable multiple pin, so it's it's a very interesting um, kind of curve. Um, now, when you say the-
0: adjustable multiple pins, does that mean every single pin has to be ranged in?
1: So, I adjust, so I when I say uh, adjust, adjustable multiple pin, it means you have a multiple pin head on an adjustable frame. So it's like if you took a four pin head and put it like on our King pin frame. It means that you have four fixed yardages, but then after your bottom pin, whatever that is, you compensate using the yardage wheel and then aim with a, you have an aiming pin then. So like they've been systems like that has been around for a long time, whether you had four fixed and you used one pin, that actually moved independently as a floater or if you had four fixed, that was on an adjustable frame. And when, you know, you would compensate for longer distances and then e brake like with your bottom pin or your top pin or something like that.
0: I gotcha. So the floater pin is what I've, what I've known it as where you have yeah. three set pins, right? That you have to actually go in and range or whatever. And then based off of how those pins are set, the wheel then controls the the bottom pin which is the floater okay
1: Yep. Yep. yeah so that's that a lot of people like those terms kind of get used like you know kind of intermixed but like when somebody says a floater pin that's what i think of is like you you really have one one pin that adjusts independently from the rest of them so we don't use a floater system we we have four fixed pins so let's say you know you have four pins that are set 20 30 40 50 so your bottom pin is 50 yards and then past 50 you actually use your dial or your slide to make the adjustment to whatever the longer distance is and then most people would aim with your bottom pin so you do not have like an independently adjustable a pin they're all they're all set for you know pre predetermined distances
0: gotcha okay yeah that makes sense all right so then you know the optimizer line comes out it's uh been you know it did well you guys made a a round of adjustments on on that talk to us a little bit from from your knowledge of what goes into a new product because I feel like today you can't get away anymore without you know with letting a product ride for you know 14 years or 10 years or whatever i mean you you've got to come out with something new or your company's boring right yeah so what goes in when you guys are sitting around the round table having this discussion of what comes next what goes into those conversations
1: it's i mean it's it's that whole scenario has changed so much over the over the last probably five or six years mainly you know um up until a year ago um Terry, the founder, was still very much involved with the company. So a lot of those, a lot of those conversations he was involved with, and he, you know, he had nothing but time, but to think and tinker. And so a lot of the ideas were generated from him, um, along with, you know, like the conversations we had at trade shows or, you know, customer feedback, whatever. So, but it, it a lot of it is just we it's just feedback um you know we're all users but we obviously are very close to the product so you know we know how to use them the way we use them so you know obviously when you have masses you know using your product everybody's going to kind of you know critique them and pick them apart so you know a lot of like the design changes and stuff came from customer feedback um and it i i think we we do rely heavily on that to this day but you know it's just it's like how can we make things easier like because in our in our minds you know using like a single pin adjustable it doesn't get any easier than that like it's it's a point and shoot system like very simplistic but again we deal with it every day so it's it's of course it's easy for us right um but a lot of it is it, it, you know it's just looking at what we've done you know what are other companies doing like what are some new trends that we're seeing in the industry is there you know, new technology that we're currently not using that we could use, and um, you know, we're you know, being a smaller company, we're obviously limited to what we can do. You know, whether it's because of capital or you know, um, you know, we you know, what of our capabilities as far as like our, our machines and stuff like that, because we 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 machine a hundred percent everything in house. Um, well, I shouldn't say hundred percent, ninety nine point nine percent of everything we do, we we make ourselves. Um, So that kind of, you know, limits some things too. But, you know, a lot of it is just, like I said, it's just you know, we hear so much, you know, from our customers or our sales guys um, and stuff like that. So, you know, that's where a lot of the, you know, kind of the brainstorming and the ideas come from. And then it's actually putting them into place and being, you know, nine times out of 10, a lot of the ideas we have don't work. You know, it's like, all right, like, we'll actually watch well, I put it on a, on a site or try to make a prototype We're like, well, that, that sucked, that didn't, you know, that's not going to work, you know, or whatever. So, um, you know, you kind of, it just kind of goes back to how like the company started. Like we just throw darts at a wall and, you know, eventually one of them is going to stick. Right. So, um, but the nice thing about having our own machines is we can, you know, if we come up with an idea, we can get to work on it right away. You know, we can yeah. get, we can get working on prototypes right, right away. So Yeah.
0: There's no, God, I forget who I was talking with, uh, about that. And he's like, listen, uh, I used to work for a manufacturing company that, you know, we would come up with a prototype. Then we would send the prototype to China. China would do their thing. Then they would send it back. And this is six months goes by. And it sounds like other companies, similar to what you guys are doing. It's prototype design. All that can happen as fast as the company really wants it to happen. Right. You mean, you you build it, you test it. And then if it's good enough, shit, you, you produce it.
1: Yep. No. And that's, we, it, and that's, you know, I don't know if you want to call, I guess it could be a, a competitive advantage and a competitive disadvantage because our lead times are, I mean, that's based on us, right? Like if we want to knock something out in two weeks, we can knock something out in two weeks. If as long as we can get the materials and you know, whatever, but if we want to drag it out for four to six months, we can drag it out for six months. So it's, it's, uh, we, we do have the majority control. So it's not like if we have an idea, you know, we sit in a conference room with 20 people and everybody's arguing with each other because, you know, most people fall in love with their own idea and you're trying to convince everybody else to get on board with it. It's literally, you know, maybe five of us max and we might jump on a conference call with a couple of our sales guys. We may have a couple of them, you know, drive up and meet with us and, you know, we may send a couple of prototypes out to people with non disclosures. And, but, uh, for the most part, once, once we have an idea, we can, we can get to work on it right away. We, there's, there's nobody we need approval from, you know, it's, it's our, it's ours. So, um, we can usually knock out stuff product wise pretty quickly now. I mean, some of our longer lead times are, you know, getting the packaging and all that stuff, which is out of our control, but, you know as far as the actual you know building the product we can usually do that uh we can usually do that pretty pretty quick and especially like a you know a year like this like god man if you're if you're outsourcing something from china this year i i mean i feel awful for those companies because i mean there's so much trap that's sitting on the water right now like i mean comp- like competing companies that you know they're friends of ours we're competitors but you know they outsource stuff overseas and i mean they are I mean, they're six to eight months from getting product, you know? So it's like, thank God for, you know, American made products. Yeah,
0: absolutely, man. And uh, are all of your products American made that come out of HHA? Even your rest? Everything. Okay, cool. Every
1: single. Yeah. Like I said, 99% of the stuff we make, the only, so like on our rest, for example, the only thing we don't make are the, uh, like the, the containment arm and the launcher, which is a glass filled nylon. So that's, that's all molded. We don't do that stuff. Um, but everything's assembled, you know, in house, but anything, anything on our sites or rest that are machined aluminum or just metal, we, we built it.
0: Okay. All right. So, Now you have the next generation of, I guess I'm reading right off the website here. The next generation of optimizer sites is the Tetra. What is the difference between the optimizer line and the Tetra
1: line? So it's, there's a big difference, but then there's not a big difference. So the Tetra was actually born back in 2017. Um, That was part of our optimizer line. It was the optimizer Tetra. And that was born based off of the king pin um which is now known as the tetra max um so when we introduced the king pin back in 2014 i believe and it was it was kind of above and beyond like anything that was really available it was a very um expensive site but it was loaded with features um you know it was one of the, kind of like the first wheel for designs and you know you had 100 yard capabilities and all this stuff but it came with a higher price tag. And um, that was the biggest, uh, well, complaint we got was that that site was just too expensive. And, you know, we, we, we saw that with, you know, kind of the sales falling off the stuff. And so the idea said, well, you know, we should make a more economic version of the Kingpin. So that's where the Tetra was born. But, you know, we had to find something to differentiate it. It couldn't just be a cheaper or a less expensive Kingpin. There had to be something like, All right, so for $100 less, what am I getting, you know, but it still had to be up to our standards. So long story short, the the whole Tetra system as we know it now is all based off of the front end. So that's the biggest difference. Everything in our optimizer line, um, the scope housing bolted onto the frame. So you had two Allen wrench screws that would actually bolt the site onto the frame which worked fine, but when you came to sight in, you kind of always played this hopscotch game of trying to find the perfect set of holes for the scope housing to sit that would give you the most range out of your sight tape. And it just, it worked, but it just, it kind of extended the sight in process longer than it really need to. So now with the Tetra, the scope housing slides in an infinite adjust frame or, uh, or slide. So you're no longer bolting the scope housing onto the frame. So it doesn't matter if it's our optimizer line or a catcher line; they all get sighted in the same way. So you have to shoot 20 and 60 or 20 and 40, uh, depending on what sight you have. So all of them, um, when you sight in at 20 yards with the optimizer line, that's where you're playing the hopscotch game of okay, I want to try to get my my 20 yard mark on my setup tape as close to zero as possible. But in order to do that, I have to adjust my scope housing up and down, right? So that's where you're unbolting it, bolting it, unbolting, and bolting it. Where with the Tetra series, you're not unbolting anything. You're just sliding the scope housing up and down in the frame. So one, it makes it easier and quicker to sight in your 20-yard mark, but it also makes it more precise too. So you can literally dial your 20-yard mark like it's precise as you want it to, as you want it to be which pays dividends when you go back to sight in at 60 because then you're truly going to find the most accurate sight tape you can. So that's the big, that's the big difference in the Tetra series is that, is that, is that kind of that independent, like unique front end.
0: Okay. So let's say there's a guy out there, he's brand new to, to hunting. What is the, the site that you would recommend for a newbie? It's just ease ease of setup.
1: I mean, if if they just, I mean, there's, I mean, there's kind of. I guess it, it all depends on what. Okay, what what are they going to be doing, and and what and what capabilities do they want to have? Like, so if it's a it's a brand new brand new shooter, never never shot a bow before, max distance is probably going to be thirty forty yards. Like, to the yard accuracy really isn't important. They literally just want to go shoot. I would still say our Optimizer Lite, which is our original, you know, that's where everything started. The Optimizer Lite, in my opinion, it's a it's the most basic, functional, durable site that's not gonna break the bank, right? I mean, you can pick one up for 130 bucks and it's gonna do everything that any one of our other sites will do. It's just, you know, you don't have the precision of the yardage tapes. You don't have second and third axis. It, it, it lacks bells and whistles and features, but it's very functional if they wanted to take a step up and they wanted a little more precision, wanted to get into a little bit, you know, maybe possibly do some longer range shooting. Um, and just like I said, overall want more precision. Then I would say just, you know, the straight Tetra is, but the Tetra probably, the standard Tetra is probably by far my favorite site we make. I mean, it's, it's a reasonable price. I mean, 250 bucks, but it's, I mean, it's got everything you really need. Gotcha.
0: Okay. All right. So there, anything else that you want to cover with the sites before we jump into the rest?
1: Um, I mean, that the big thing is, you know, the, whether it's our optimizer line or Tetra line, um, you know, everything's covered by our lifetime warranty. So anything happens to it, we're going to replace it. And um, whether it's the optimizer line, you – all of our sites are like kind of a plug and play system. So you pick the frame you want, and then you pick the scope housing size you want, and you pick the pin size you want. And the beauty of that is you can interchange the scope housing. So if you want a 10,000th pin for shooting 3D in the summer, and then you want a 19,000th for, um, you know, hunting, all you have to do, you just change the front ends out. And then with the Texas series, you have the option of going from single pin to multiple pin. So that's, that's kind of unique to... Um, you know, HHA is the fact that you can do all that customization and, you know, the fact that, you know, that there's a lot of great sites out there and, and, you know, again, like some of our biggest competitors we're, we're friends with, but we're also competitors and uh, we use a lot of the same um, materials as a lot of the other site companies. But the fact that we do all of our own in-house machining is huge because our quality control, is very very expensive, and in my opinion, um, we hold some of the ty- tightest tolerances, you know, available in sites. Um, but uh, you know, you really can't go wrong with with any of them. But the big thing is, it doesn't matter whether it's a $130 site or a $400 site; it's it's covered by warranty. And if anybody ever had any issues with it, I and mean, obviously we're gonna we're gonna take care of them.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's see. And and by the way that's one thing I, I don't hear out of a lot of companies is, Hey man, uh, we have really good tolerances because of our, you know, our quality control like that. And I come from somewhat of a manufacturing background. That is huge. Like QA mm-hmm. in any, any form of manufacturing is probably if not equal to the pro- the manufacturing process itself, because you got to catch the, the the mistakes and the one-offs before you ship it to a person because typically what happens is the person who gets the bad product yells the loudest and uh, they're, uh, they're all over social media talking crap on the company and, and all that stuff these days so
1: well and that's i mean that's exactly right and you know a lot of it stems from because a lot of our our quality control came from you know Harry when he when he was still around nothing got packaged until he put his hands on it. And he was, he was super picky. I mean, super picky. So, you know, obviously, you know, with him gone, you know, we did not lose any of our quality control because we all learned like what was, what his standard was. He set the bar. That doesn't mean, I mean, there's still human error involved. So it doesn't mean that one or two of them, you know, may not be, you know, up to our standards that like squeaks out. But if one of those does leak out, we're going to get it back and we're going to replace it. So, cause I mean, like you said, with the, this day and age with social media, with social media, you know, it's, it's so easy for people to jump on there and criticize and, you know, I just bought, you know, this AKG for 300 bucks, the biggest piece of shit, like yeah. whatever, like, no, it's, it's not, you may have just, you know, okay, maybe one squeaked out, but just get a hold of us. We'll take care of it. Um, you know, and that's one thing we really, other than the quality of our products, the quality of our customer service is probably one of the most important parts of our business. You know, like I said, whether it's sites, rest, arrows, whatever, I mean, it's pretty a level playing field these days. Like there's not really anybody using any material that nobody else is using. So from quality of products, you may get some fluctuation and stuff, but the one thing we can control and we we can strive to always do better is our customer service. And that is, like I said, one of the most important parts of our business is providing quality customer service, whether it's, you know, if we have to sit on the phone for 25 minutes while somebody's at the range trying to set in their site, we will, whether it's, you know, troubleshooting, you know, a problem that somebody that's having whatever, like we taking care of our customers is, is, is number, you know, number one priority. So,
0: Yeah. All right, so let's uh, get into this rest. Once uh, you know, just from looking at it, it looks like it's a drop away rest. Um, mm-hmm. When when was this rest introduced to HHA?
1: So the Vertus was introduced, I believe that was 2017 as well. Because I think we introduced that the same year as the Tetra. Um, so backing up to you know, like the the early 80s and stuff, we've we've had probably three or four different versions of of arrow aero rush and any, you know, from the basic two prong, yeah. you know, spring loaded, uh, launcher, you know, rest, um, up until we, we had a couple different fall versions. Um, and then we kind of got away from it just, you know, cause like I said, over time, just the, the sites are what took off. Um, and so when I officially joined the company, that was one of the first questions they asked me was, you know, if you could get do market, what would, uh, you get into. And, um, at the time I was currently a a buyer for a big archery distributor. And, you know, so I had kind of a, an inside look as to what the rest market, you know, was doing currently doing. And I I said, first, I said, I come out with a away arrow rest. I said, there's room for one, you know, there's one company that's kind of excelling, but there's not really anybody else that's, you know, kind of pushing them at all. And so that's kind of where the, the conversation stemmed from. Um, and it was, it was, it was a point in time where I don't want to say the site market was stale. Um, but we needed, we needed, we needed to throw a little extra gas on the fire just to try to ignite some, you know, some different revenue streams and, and whatever. So, you know, we, you know, it kind of goes back to the round table idea. We're like, hell, let's, you know, let's give it a try. Um, and it was, uh, it was one of the best things we've ever done, but it was also one of the most challenging things. Um, which you would think, like coming from making these pretty, you know, detailed, extensive sites, that like coming up with the rest wouldn't be that hard. But it was actually uh, it was one of the more challenging projects we've we've done.
0: And was that because it was a brand new skew for you guys?
1: Well, brand brand new. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't brand new because, like I said, we had done follow in the past, but you know, when you get into a new market, you got to do your research, right? So you got to look at what's already currently available, what patents are involved, what's, you know, all this stuff. Um, and it, and then, you know, it's okay. So then how do we differentiate it? Right. And then, but how do we differentiate it without, you know, keep, you know, while still keeping the integrity of the functionality, but then also keeping it up to our standards without it costing too much more than what everybody else was selling. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, a I want to say it was about a two year learning curve just with like the design. And, um, we had a great design. It's just, we didn't, there's a lot we didn't realize about, you know, follow a and, you know, there's some violent reactions that go on inside and, you know, you got to be sure the parts you're using are durable enough to handle that. But so it was, I mean, it was, uh, it, it was kind of a crazy, crazy ride, but you know, the, the vertus that is available today is, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the better quality products Yeah. we built as far as, you know, the functionality and yet it's still, you know, a petite, small, simple frame, you know? So it's not, uh, it, it's, it's something that it's, it's, a, it's a product that we're, we're pretty proud of. And then, you know, the, you know, kind of the message that goes along with, with the rest as well.
0: Okay. So, you know, a lot of moving parts in a drop away rest. Um, And I'll be honest, I'll I'll just say this. I used a rip cord for years and years and years. And I, I think, In in this x number of years that I've used a ripcord, I've had two on my bow, and one lasted me for like seven years. I mean, I beat the piss out of it, out of it, and it functioned the same way every single time. And I, I, and I'm, to me, that means a lot for for Mm -hmm. for an end user. What kind of testing went into this? You know, the Vertus that said now we can give it to people. Now we can sell it. Now we can put the HHA sticker on it because we know it's going to perform the same way every
1: single time. More than any product we've ever done. Um, We did, I mean, we, we did more testing on that, on that product than any product we've ever done because we knew we were a new kid, you know, entering a, you know, a new block. We, we basically had one chance at this. And if we, if we miss this, we were going to look like fools and basically we could never enter the rest market ever again. So we knew like the stakes were pretty high. There was a lot of risk, but the reward was worth the risk. So, I mean, we did everything from, you know, um, high speed camera testing. We did, um, I mean, durability testing. I mean, we, I mean, we fired thousands and thousands and thousands of shots through them. Um, I mean, I took one of the first prototypes with me on a 30 day excursion in Alaska, which I mean, you know, getting dragged through sand and mud. And, yeah. I mean, it, and, I mean, I, and I, that was a prototype. That was one of the first prototypes. and I shot that rest for almost two years, which, um, you know, it's, it's crazy that it lasted that long because I, I'll, I'll admit like the first vertices that we made, even though all the testing we put them through you still there's there's the opportunity to miss something and we did and basically what we missed was we relied on the fact that everybody would set up the rest the way we did and it's not that you set a vertus rest up any differently than any other rest it's just there is there's certain little details that make it function better um than um if you didn't do those certain details But then what we found out was if you didn't do it the way we did it, the rest could fail. And if the rest failed, it was, it was shot. It was, it was junk. So we went back, we completely, we ripped everything apart. We're like, all right, this is, this is no bueno. And luckily at that time we'd only shipped out like a very, a very select few, you know, just to kind of like some of the first dealers that placed orders that, you know, we were still kind of in like the beta testing phase, like it passed at every, you know, all of our parameters, but, you know, until you get it out to the masses, you never know how it's going to perform. Right. So right away, we started getting feedback or like, all right, like halt production, halt shipping, get all the ones we shipped back. We got to fix this. So, basically what was happening was there was a a pin inside and that's the one thing about our rest is that it, there is very, very minimal moving parts inside. But because of that, a lot of, you know, those parts that, or the material you use for those parts, they have to have to function, right? Because if one thing goes wrong, the rest is shot. It's, I mean, you're, you're out of commission. So we had this one pin that if the rest wasn't, set up correctly and, and I didn't want to say correctly, but like if it wasn't set up the way we set it up and the arrow hit the launcher, it would force this this cock past this pin and it would shear that pin off. Well then the rest would just sit there and you could flip it. it like it just it wouldn't pick up, it wouldn't do anything. So we replaced that pin, we beefed that up. We you know at the time we were taking out more material than we needed to. So we quit doing that. And it kind of worked out because we could do all these, like we're getting all this feedback at the same time. So we could make multiple changes at one time. So then we had version two and re we, we, we launched those. Right. And you know, the, the select few we sent out, everything was going great. Everything was going great. But then, you know, again, we got a feedback where if the rest didn't fall and the arrow hit the launcher. So the pin that we thought we fixed, we actually made it worse because although we beefed that pin up, we made it out of uh, stainless steel, which stainless steel won't wear, but it's brittle. It'll break. Right. So same thing. We were like shearing these pins off and we're like, damn, it!" like, all right, enough is enough. Like, you know, it was a little bit more expensive, but so we changed the material that we beefed it up even more. And then now we're on version three. So literally in probably like, I want to say like six weeks, we had like version one, two, and three knocked out. So we're, we've been running version three since then. And it's been, you know, it's been, it's been great. So we finally found the winning formula. I mean, the one thing I will say, and like all the testing we did, whether it's you know, a rip cord, you know, whatever else, arrest, I mean because arrest is it's getting used and abused nonstop, right like if you're shooting hundreds of arrows you're hunting whatever arrest will fail at some time like it, it's just you know that the integrity of the parts are eventually the, it, it will fail it it probably will be 10 years from when you bought it but it will fail at some time so knowing that and going through all, all of our testing we're like let's you know we we don't want ours to fail and if it is going to fail it's like it's on you know junior who is fourth generation is using it or something like that so we were very very critical when you know when we were coming out with version three because we we're like this we like we got to get this right you know whatever so um and like i said the luckily the learning curve was pretty was pretty quick but it just you know it was one of those it was one of those things where just like you know you are just beating your head against the wall and um but you know like i said the the, the vertus that we have today is i mean i can honestly say like obviously i'm you know i work for the company but even even if i didn't i would i would 100% shoot our rust. it's it's in my opinion it's 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 one of the best rests on the market as far as functionality and durability
0: awesome all right so a guy is going into the store and he's looking for a site or he's looking for a rest and he comes to this wall full of sights and rests and, you know, accessories for the bow and whatnot. Why should that guy, whether he is brand new or a veteran to archery, choose an HHA cider rest?
1: I think the big thing is, you know, like I said before, there's, I mean, nowadays there's, there's so many good products available. I mean, so many good products. I mean, you, you know that I know that like we both have shot how many different sites, how many different rests, like, there's a lot of good products, but I think really, like, my biggest selling point is that it just comes down to, like, I mean, obviously, because we make everything, the quality is there, the tolerances are there, and just the fact that our customer service is, I mean, that's, you, you're, you're going to be taken care of, right? Like, you know, whether it's you're only with us for a year or, you know, and then you go and try something else, it doesn't, you know, that doesn't matter. Like, that's fine, you know, but... If, if you are going to use one of our products like I mean you're almost kind of like part of our family like we're, we're going to take care of you if, if something happens so I mean that's my biggest sign point like I said I can talk all day about you know we use this aluminum we use this you know we, we have this feature we have this or that and that's all fine and dandy but I, in my opinion it's just the fact that like if you ever do run into an issue like I said you're either going to talk to me or two other people but you're going to talk to one of us and we're going to get you taken care of
0: yeah Yeah, that sounds good, man. Well, I tell you, thanks for uh, taking time to hop on the podcast and uh, chit-chat with us today. If people want to find out more about HHA and their lineup of sites and rest, where should we send them?
1: Uh, Best place, I mean, for the most information would just be our website, which is uh, hhasports.com. You know, jump on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, connect with us there. Or, I mean, if, you know, like I said, if, if you have questions on anything, just pick up the phone and uh and call us and you know, we're more than happy to uh answer any questions anybody has
0: sounds good man well hey scott thanks for coming on today and good luck the rest of the season
1: yeah you too man thank you